Good morning. So good to see you folks this Sunday. <clears throat> have an announcement I want to make sure we get covered first of all today. Uh, Saturday, I think that's this coming Saturday if I'm not mistaken. This coming Saturday? Okay. Uh, the ladies trip to uh, Nashville, Indiana. Uh, it's a, a, a eating place, a gathering place called the Farmhouse. And the last day to sign up for this is today. And so if, you, if you've not heard about that, it's a good chance to catch up. Uh, they're going to meet in the IGA parking lot over in Ellettsville, uh, somewhere close to the hardware store, leave their cars and travel together as much as you possibly can. And this is uh, this Saturday, uh, coming this Saturday, was there a time they're supposed to meet? 1045. I could hear you. 1045. 1045. Everybody write that down. No, you men can't write it down because you don't get to go. So it's a ladies' trip to the farmhouse over in Nashville, and uh, several people have already uh, told me they were going, so the, the sign-up sheet is out there in the foyer if you'd like to get that then. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to First Peter chapter 3. Uh, we're still in our series on uh, everyday hope, and we've come to this very important section. All of it's important. But uh, this particular section has a, a lot of uh, application to us as individual Christians and as a church as well. <clears throat> the term first appeared in 1964, and uh, today it's a very common phrase. Most all of you have heard of it, I'm sure. A lot of people have experienced it firsthand. It's called identity theft. If you've been tracking this, last year there were 4.8 million reported identity thefts and frauds in the United States. Now what's interesting, that's a 45% increase just from the year before. And so this, is, this was, uh, uh, again, uh, there's a, apparently a lot of people are losing their, uh, their protection and their identities, financial, financial identities are in a great, great danger. The number keeps going up. If you've fallen victim of this crime or know somebody, you know that this is kind of a very frustrating and, and uh, many people have taken steps to get protective measures. The uh, software market for uh, uh, software that tracks this stuff <clears throat> and makes sure that your computers are safe or so on uh, is, uh, I think it was five or six major companies that have really been making a lot of money as a result of identity theft. But this morning, I want to talk to you about a different kind of identity theft. <clears throat> and in my opinion, much more important than financial security is your spiritual identity and our understanding of who we are <clears throat> as a result of our relationship with Christ Jesus. Now, there's an important word in the Bible that every Christian needs to understand. In fact, if we ever aspire to have this uh, life of everyday hope as we really want with Christ Jesus, and in the, in the church, then we as a, as a body need to pay very close attention to what Peter has to say in this third chapter. There's an important word. It appears 229 times in the Greek New Testament, 609 times in the Bible altogether. And this word speaks, in the, translated into Greek, it speaks of the word uh, holy. The word hagios in the Greek is holy. The Latin word is the word sanctus. And we get that word sanctified and sanctuary, sacred, saint. All those words come from the same root. The English defines this word as something or someone that has been set apart, dedicated, or consecrated to God. When we meet around the Lord's table here each week, 
That is a sanctified time. It's a sacred time. And we've set that apart to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for. That's just one of a number of examples that appear throughout Scripture. Now, I want you to listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. Amazing truth. Do you not know <clears throat> that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You have been bought at a price. Therefore, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul says, honor God with your body. Now, over in 1 Peter, we see this command from the Apostle Peter. Just as he who called you is holy, so you be holy in all that you do. Now, we've already talked about this word holy, and again, because it is such a crucial word. And we need to be refreshed regularly as to its meaning. He says, just as he who's called you is holy, you be holy in all you do. You know what he's saying? He said, he that has called you is pure, so you be pure in all of the things that you do. He who called you is faithful. So you be faithful in all the things that you do. He who called you is loving. So what are Christians to do? We're to be loving in all the things that we do. He who called you is distinctive and separated from the world. So we are to be distinctive and different and separated from the world in everything that we do. It's, it's a crucial component of your identity. Just like uh, children who re- resemble their parents. I, people have told me uh, that uh, I remind them of my dad uh, when he, uh, he passed away a long time ago. But I have relatives that say, well, you look like your dad. And uh, I'm not sure dad would be happy with that. But nevertheless, uh, when you think about it, whatever God is like, you and I are to be like that as well, spiritually speaking. We don't look like him, but we act like him. Bible says no one has seen God at any time. But the watching world sees you and me everywhere we go. And he never, ever stops calling us, his children, to authentically live out our true identity before a watching world. You know, what goes on for, for much of what the church life is about is not being here in this building. This is a sanctuary. This is a place we come to worship. It's uh, set aside this uh, uh, 15 acre corner here was dedicated to God long ago when we first came over here. But your body is also the temple, a sanctified place where the Holy Spirit of God dwells. And so this is what's so crucial to us. Peter's going to give us some summaries of the qualities that are supposed to be a part of a Christian's response. Now, he's already talked about in this book, we've been through this. He talked about being responsive in our relationship to outsiders, uh, being uh, considerate of others, government, employers, husbands, wives. We just talked about that. And now he summarizes what we should express, not only in our relationships with every person who comes into our life, but particularly those who are members of the body of Christ. In fact, look around here. You see them here in this room today. And the scriptures tell us that this living body of Christ is to have special regard for one another. To live within the church requires knowing and living out at least six marks that Peter gives us here 
of what a distinctive Christian life is supposed to be about. Are you ready? Number one, here's the first one. We're to be of one mind, or, or like-mindedness is the way it's sometimes put in the, in the scriptures. And this is something that's not always easy to attain. I have a Christian comedian I listen to from time to time, and uh, he was doing a program one time, and he said this. In conversation with a person I had recently met, I asked him, are you a Protestant or a Catholic? And my new acquaintance replied, well, I'm a Protestant. And I said, well, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Well, he said, I'm a Northern Baptist. I said, it's me too, he shouted. And they continued with this back and forth thing. And finally, he said, I asked, are you a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist of the Great Lakes Region Council of 1879? Or are you a Northern Conservative Fundamentalist Baptist Great Lakes Council of 1912? And he replied, Northern Conservative Fundamental Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And he said, die, you heretic. Isn't that terrible? But you know, that happens a lot, unfortunately, and it's sad but true, that throughout history, the church has all, we've allowed so many of the minor things to eclipse the major things, and we are still doing it today. But in chapter 3, verse 8, Peter tells us, finally, all of you, listen, you live in harmony with one another. We're to be different from the world. We are to be distinctive. God has called all of his sons and all of his daughters to live in harmony with him and with each other. And it is our Father's desire, hear me, it's our Father's desire for us to continually be growing in the unity of the faith and unity of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But it's not just for the head knowledge purpose, it's not just for our understanding, though that's really important. But it has to do with us all being on the same page. It's our Father's desire that we grow to maturity and become more and more and more like Jesus himself. Or as the Apostle Paul put it in Ephesians 4.13, until we all reach unity in the flesh, in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God, until we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, so what he's saying here is that we are under construction and have been for a long time, many of us. And so there's a process that's going on here. The Christian community is supposed to be in harmony the same way an orchestra uh, is uh, tuned to one another's instruments. They know when to, to play. The instruments are, uh, musicians are following the lead of the conductor, which is the Lord Jesus himself in the church's case. It's also like watching your favorite team uh, play together in perfect unity as the, uh, each player does exactly what they're supposed to do, not just anything that they want to do. But it's not easy. You don't see this much in history, and unfortunately you don't see a lot of that kind of of uh, oneness in even our world today. When Charles V stepped down as the Holy Roman Emperor over 400 years ago, he spent a lot of time in his uh, palace he had in Spain. And he had, uh, according to the story, he had six clocks that he had there. And no matter how he tried, he could never get those clocks to chime at the same time throughout the palace. In his memoirs, he wrote, how is it possible for six different clocks to chime all at the same time? How is it even possible for the six nations of the Holy Roman Empire to live in harmony, he says. It cannot be done. It's impossible. 
even if they call themselves Christians. But you know what? Today, we know that it's possible to have clocks in perfect harmony. You know what the key is? We'll all be powered by the very same source and all calibrated to the very same standard. And it's impossible otherwise to have unity. We need to be calibrated to the standard of Jesus Christ in God's church. And this must always be our goal here at Maple Grove. The church's people. Did you know that? Look around you. You see the church right here. All right. Some of you don't even look. You won't even look around. There's people behind you guys. Did you all know that? Well, what our standard is, is to be unity. But when you have disharmony and when you have disunity, you almost always have some kind of sin or issue that's causing the problem. And Peter recognizes this. You know, he's saying to us here, and I'm going to share these steps with you, but he's saying here that the solution is spiritual. It's not organizational. Uh, it's not you know, something that has to do with the way we do things in particular, but it has to do with who we are and who we follow. We must always seek the will of the Lord together and then together to do his will. So oneness is a first step. Be of one mind. Number two, we're supposed to be sympathetic. We're supposed to be sympathetic with one another. Peter's instructing us to become concerned and kind and considerate and compassionate and caring and sensitive, all those things. Because every single week, there are brothers and sisters that come to church here and probably all over the world that are heavy-hearted. Their hearts are not really in tune. Worship may not be something that they feel like doing. They're discouraged. And the ministry of paying attention and watching and looking to see uh, who these folks might be is so, so important so we can encourage them. We reach out in love to these people. The people that need, I mean, this needs to be a Sunday morning priority for all of us here on the Lord's Day. And hopefully an ongoing practice the rest of the week. Over in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, the Apostle Paul reminds us that within the body of Christ, when one member suffers, we all suffer. You know, I think it's true physically. You know, if you cut yourself or you hurt yourself in some way physically, it may seem like a tiny little thing. You ever had, I have a broken little finger. You all see this right here? I can't straighten it completely out. You know what this is from? I've not shared this publicly. It's from a football injury. Because I was trying to tackle this kid who was much younger than me. And all I touched was the back of his shoe and it broke my little finger. And just, in fact, just talking about it brings back bad memories. And I need you to sympathize with me. I really do. This one is also messed up. See, I can't do any more than either. You know what that's about? That's arthritis. Have you, have you heard of Arthur? How many people know who Arthur is on a first-finger basis here? You know? Well, so it is with the body of Christ. We need to be alert and sensitive to the hurts and the pains. Then third, not only be sympathetic, but then third, we need to love as brothers and sisters. The word used here for love in this passage is brotherly love. And we see this in passages like Romans 12.10, which reads... Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be compassionate. Be humble. Hebrews 13.1 echoes the very same sentiment. Keep on loving each other. And then fourthly, not only are we being of one mind, be unified, we're also be sympathetic, be, and love one another's brothers and sisters, 
But fourthly, we need to be compassionate, or the word could be translated tender-hearted. Do your hearts break over the things that God, God's heart breaks over? One of the first Bible verses many of us learned as children was Ephesians 4.32. Be kind and compassionate one to another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God has forgiven you. And then fifth, the fifth characteristic is then to be courteous. We need to be courteous. The word actually means literally to be of a friendly mindset uh, or to be, be courteous in our attitude. And again, we're not merely just to love the people who love us. We're not merely to just be focused on our own relationships so much. But we're to be loving and courteous to all who come into our lives, just like Jesus was. And the challenge is to extend to others the same courtesy and love that we would offer to a dear friend. And I know, I know Sundays are busy. Uh, it's hard for me to, to be, uh, things are all coming, people are coming and going, and with two services and so on, I don't get to talk to people as easily as I used to. And it's sometimes a little challenging. But you know what? You just need to get in the habit of looking around and seeing who's here. And uh, if there's somebody that has uh, a, uh, was alluded to in our communion prayer. Did you know it's going through a tough time? And uh, we've had some, some real painful uh, situations the last few weeks. And you just kind of just give them a hug and just to catch up with them a little bit. Let them know that you're thinking about them and care about them. Now this time, let's see where I'm at now. I'm the, I'm going to get done a little early. <laughs> Looks like. No. What happens is you move then in Peter's thinking now at this point in the scripture, especially with verse 13, there's a shift in his thinking. And he moves from instructing believers about embracing Christ-like behavior when we're in the body of Christ. But now he lays out instructions how we share our faith outside the body of Christ. It's a very clear uh, shift in term. Verse 13 said, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Now, what I want you to see here is Peter turns his thoughts to one of the most important responsibilities we Christians have. And we overlook it quite a bit. And I want you to listen carefully as Peter lays out three crucial steps that you and I need to take if we want our everyday hope in the, of the gospel to be shared with other people. If we're going to let other people know it. If we have everyday hope and have a joy that can't be explained in worldly terms, as we talk to people who are not having that, experiencing that, then there's three steps to help you do that effectively. Here's the first one. Peter says in verse 15, you've got to set apart Christ as your Lord. Verse 15, in your hearts, you set apart Jesus as Lord. Now, lordship is the key to godly living. Lordship is, is an acknowledgement that you don't run everything. You don't control everything. You don't do everything. That we are under authority. That we answer to a higher power. And his name is Jesus. And we space that out in all of our activities and thinking, you know, the question Jesus asked in Luke 6.46 was, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things which I say? So this is step one. You're never going to have much use for the rest of this message 
unless this has been the first step you take. Set him apart as Lord in your life. Get off the throne yourself and focus. Step number two. Then he goes on to say, always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And you do this simply by, by just talking and sharing and communicating. Ideally, as you and I begin to grow more like Jesus Christ inwardly, then our lives are going to begin to change outwardly. And people may notice the change in you. Well, hopefully they will. I mean, it's impossible for you to have Jesus Christ living inside of you without some of him leaking out somewhere in your day-to-day activities and you know, where you're going to work and school and all over. It's possible or impossible for you to have Christ inside of you without somebody knowing it if they spend enough time around you. And this is what Peter's talking about. Believers should allow the love and joy and peace and hope of Christ to show in our daily walk, in our daily as neighbors, as co-workers. Set apart Christ as Lord, step one. Always be ready to give an answer for the hope you have. And then number three, you maintain a Christ-like attitude. And what would that look like? Well, verse 16 tells us. He says, but you do this. You do this witnessing. You do this lifestyle evangelism thing. But you do it with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their their slander. You see, our Father in Heaven is calling us to a life of authenticity, a loss of, or a life that's of, you know, transparency, that, that, you know, just what we are in Christ, we just are the same all the time. That's our goal. And apparently, to others like Jesus, to do what he did, it would produce some wonderful benefits. We've seen it in Scripture. We've seen it in life. The Holy Spirit will use our good conduct as a means of influencing for good the lives of other people around us if we cooperate with him in that venture. Now, we're going to continue on with another aspect of this next week, but I want, you, I want to close with this picture. This is a picture of James Butler Bonham. And on a wall near the main entrance to the Alamo in San Antonio, Texas, is a portrait of this man. And the inscription is as follows. James Butler Bonham. And then it says, there's no picture of him. No picture of him exists. But this portrait is of his nephew, Major James Bonham, deceased, who greatly resembled his uncle. And then they, they printed this on the plaque. It is placed here by his family so that people may know the appearance of the man who died for their freedom. Now, did you know that, I guess you know, that there's no existing picture of Jesus anywhere. We have likenesses, but we don't know what he looked like exactly. No picture of him exists. But the likeness of the son who died to make us free will always be seen in the lives and actions and behavior of his true followers. And my prayer would be that as you move forward in our study here, that this will help you not only maintain everyday hope, but to make sure that that everyday hope kind of bleeds out on some other people in your life, that you have been placed near them in their vicinity just so you can influence them for Christ.
So let's be alert as we go back this week and go back to our homes and businesses. Well, you be watching because right there, maybe in front of you, will be the very person that this message was designed to point you and me towards. And we don't want to miss that call. If you've not yet decided to follow Jesus but would like to, I encourage you uh, to talk to me, talk to Nick, talk to any of our elders, and we would like to help you find that everyday hope as well. Let's all stand together.